Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. It has been said that you can't go home again. I suppose that depends where home is. So where is home for you? I'm not talking about where they deliver your mail, the address on the front of the house or the apartment or the dorm room where you live. I'm talking about home, that deep and rich, resonant word that echoes within us and reminds us that we're somehow pilgrims and strangers and we yearn for home. Now, it has also been said that we may never really have another home other than the one where we were born and or grew up. So I want to get a bit of a feel today of where home is for, for our congregation in this place. So I'm going to ask you to do something, if you would, for me. I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand. I know you came into church thinking, oh, I hope the pastor asks us to stand today. So I just wanted to follow up on that desire. I want to ask you to stand depending on, well, you'll see. So let me first of all speak to the group that was born in and or grew up in Loma Linda or around in the immediate area. So you were born and or grew up in this area. This is home. Would that group stand? Let's see how many of you there are. Wow, look around. You are here, but not big in number, which is what I suspected would be the case. Thank you so much. You can sit down. Now, the fact that we had that number stands up, me and I wouldn't have stood in that, mean that all the rest of us come from somewhere else. So now I'm going to ask you this. We're going to flash up some flags on the screen. And if you see the flag appear of the country where you were born and or grew up, place that really has home written within you, then I want you to stand. Now, we're just going to put up the flag at first. If you're from there, you should recognize it. Now, in, <laughs> in case you don't, we'll put up the name in a few seconds. But then when you stand up in a few seconds, you're going to be humiliated. Everybody's going to be pointing because they didn't even know their flag. So, so pay careful attention the flags, okay? Now, we can't do everybody. So we're going to do 10. 10 flags just to see who among us would call those places home. So guys, put up the first flag. First flag. So if this is, uh, look at that. We already have people standing. A little bit slow there on the draw, but we'll, we'll go with you. Now, just in case the rest of you don't know where that is, if I can get my clicker to work here, there we go. Thank you. Very good. You can be seated. All right, so we have a few from our neighbors to the south. Now comes this flag. See how many we have from there. Have mercy. Look at that. All over the congregation. 
We're glad you're here. Now I'm going to put up the name and see if any others stand. Anybody else stand? No, everybody? Okay, very good. So from the Philippines. Now we move to our neighbor somewhere else. Are they, oh, good. Back here to my left. Quite, well, look at that. More and more are standing. Quite a few from our neighbor to the north. They would call that home. And that obviously is Canada. So let's keep moving along. See who comes up next here. There anyone who will stand for the... Oh, right up there in the balcony, waving his hands. Excellent. We have one. Now, that's the only one I see. This is the country of Kenya. Excellent. I'm glad you were here today. We'll keep moving. You recognize this flag? Come on, we've got to have somebody. There we go. <laughs> is that the only one? Anyone else? Oh, right over here. Very good. Well, this is a neighbor of ours down south, Argentina. We're glad you're here. Now, somebody here has to recognize this flag. Okay, you're starting to stand. It's taking a bit. <laughs> more and more. Okay. This, now, Don Finch. Okay. <laughs> Indonesia. The country of Indonesia. A lot of you. That's great. Now... Here we go. Anyone here from this place? Okay, right down here. We do have a few. I was looking to see just a few. Do you recognize this flag? This is our island, friends. Very good. Now, this one is an important one. See how many we have from this particular place. Do we have any here? Okay, we've got one over here to the left. Very good. Any others? All right. Well, so you knew what this was country of China. And then we come to this one. Look at that. Took no time. He popped right up. All right. All around. You know what this is. This is the country of Brazil. And one more. We have one more left. Now, I hope you recognize this flag. Now, you stand and stay standing. Now, when I... <laughs> Now, when I put the name up, there better not be any others who are standing. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. So for many of us, when we see those flags, we recognize something within us that resonates that, oh, wait a minute, there was one other one. I'm sorry. One other one. So put the last one up, actually. You recognize this flag? There you go. My man right down here. One or two others. Absolutely. <laughs> there we go. Over here. There we go. Why don't we just all stand for a moment of respect? <laughs> so I've teased with you over the years about Texas, about Texas being home. But let me tell you something interesting in my life about Texas. I was not born in Texas. I was born in Bogotá, Colombia, in South America. In fact, this last week, I went up and figured it up carefully. Out of my entire life, all the <clears throat> years of my life, I have spent living in Texas exactly 16%. That's not much. In California, I have lived 55% of my life. So the only natural thing to say is this is home. We love California. We love our community, our church, our friends. So the question arose for me, why then when the word home is mentioned, is there a certain deep tug in me toward the Lone Star State? 
I think it's this. I think within all of us, there's a certain pull in the direction of what somebody has said is our only true home, where we spent some early years, where our family resides. My brother, out of the four of us, was the only one of us four born in Texas. And he was helpful in reminding us of that regularly. So one time when I traveled back to Texas, I saw a T-shirt, I bought it. It said, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as quick as I could. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about the word home that pulls us in those kinds of directions. I saw it in my father. In the final weeks, months, and maybe a couple of years of my father's life, as the sun set on his very productive and loving life, there were moments when a fog would settle down over his mind, and he would say, I want to go home. And he would become insistent, I want to go home. And family would say, Dad, you're home. I want to go home. And I wondered in those moments, what was there? I could have said, Dad, you're from Fort Worth. It's just 30 miles from here. Is that what you mean? I wondered, was he thinking of the street on which he grew up, the house, his family, parents? I want to go home. Those were Dad's words. But they could easily have been the words of Jacob. It's been a long time, 20 years. It's time to go home. I want to go home. God is telling him to go back home. But I think we have to ask the question. I think Jacob would have asked the question. Can you go home again? Is it possible to go home again? We're going to read his story in Genesis 35. I want to give you some things to notice as we read the story. As we've worked our way through this series, I've tried to do that most weeks because some of the passages in the Old Testament narratives are longer than we're normally accustomed to reading. And it's easy to get lost in the weeds. So I want to give you three things to notice as we read this passage today. First of all, I want you to notice that there is present within Jacob and present within the passage this strong sense that God has been with him no matter where he has gone. He says it, he says it in verse 3, no matter where I've gone, you have been with me, always with me. Watch for that. Secondly, Watch for the fact that when it comes time to go home, Jacob tells his family, we're going home, we're going to meet God. He tells them to get ready, and they get ready in some of the ways that would have been consistent with the ritual purity codes of the time. They get ready. It's going to be a big moment. They're going to meet God. And then thirdly, I'll be surprised if you don't have the same response I had to my earlier readings of this passage. And that is, as you read through the passage, you think, well, this is just odds and ends. It's just odds and ends. What is it that holds the passage together? It talks about a variety of different things. It talks about travel, quite a bit of travel. It talks about deaths. There are three or four deaths in the passage. There's a birth in the passage. It talks about that. 
It talks about going back to a place that was familiar, a place where Jacob had met with God. It talks about building an altar to God, not for sacrifice, but as a memorial that God had come and met with him. It talks about that. It talks about the end of Isaac's life and that his sons, Jacob and Esau, come together to bury him. It kind of feels like odds and ends. So the question is, is there anything, any common theme that brings it all together? Is there any common thread that weaves its way through the fabric of this chapter? I think there is. And I think it's the question, can you go home again? So read with me. Genesis 35, we start in verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel, so it was named Alan Bacchus. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Benoni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Jacob had 12 sons, the sons of Leah, Reuben the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Rachel's servant, Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's servant, Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. 
and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It has been said that you can't go home again. Is that true? I suppose that it may depend on where home is. Jacob gets the word from God, return. Our question, can you go home again, may be helped. We may find an answer if we notice two elements in the passage, two key elements in the odds and ends that at first sight appear to make up this passage. Here's the first element. Notice from this passage that Jacob has changed. Jacob has changed. The reason for which he left home has been transformed. Maybe he's ready to go back. Jacob has changed. Now, I'm not talking about his family changing. I get that. As we read through the passage, we read of several different deaths. So when the family gathers around the Thanksgiving table, there are a number of seats that are empty. And every time you lose someone, some of the dynamics shift. They change. That's true. The family has changed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that Jacob had changed. That what sent him away from home to begin with has been transformed. In fact, the one key transformative moment was that night of wrestling with God where an elderly man and his God had it out in the dirt, in the dust. That night of wrestling, when his hip was dislocated, Jacob was transformed, and we see it in this passage. Maybe you ask the question, how do we see it here? Well, I'll give you two examples. We see it here in what happened, rather strange text, and at first seems like a throwaway line which we wish had been left out because it makes it hard to read this story in Sabbath school for children. It's that moment when Reuben, his firstborn, sleeps with his concubine, Bilhah. The text just reports it. Reuben slept with Bilhah, and Israel, or Jacob, heard of it. Heard of it. That's it. Didn't do anything about it, just heard of it. Well, that's a strange thing to say. Understand that what Reuben did was known in the pagan world around them as the way an up-and-coming young man would assert his control. I'm the next in line. I'm the patriarch. Move over, Dad. Get out of my way. I'm taking over. That's what Reuben did. Jacob heard of it. And we're waiting for the text to say, okay, what would you do about it? No comment. And it bothered Jacob. Really bothered Jacob. You see, I don't see that in the text. Well, let me tell you. Years later, this is reported in Genesis chapter 49. When, when Jacob is on his deathbed, he calls his sons together. And he describes their character for them. And then he describes what the future will look like for them. And it is at that moment that he speaks first of his firstborn son, Reuben. And he says of Reuben, Reuben, you're turbulent. You're a turbulent person, like turbulent waters. 
And then he says, and you will not succeed. And then he gives the reason that Reuben will not succeed. Do you know what that reason is? This incident right here. He remembers it. Years later, on his deathbed, I remember what you did. You can't tell me that didn't deeply bother Jacob. But Jacob has changed. It's this very kind of experience that in the past would have sent him into control mode, damage control, maneuvering behind the scenes, conniving, scheming to take care of any threat to his future. That would have done it. This is tailor-made for that response. But what do we get? Nothing. He heard of it and apparently let it go. Jacob has changed. That's not the Jacob that left home. Wonder if you can go home again now. But there's a second incident. Also a rather strange one reported in this passage. You may have noticed it as we read verse 5. It says that when Jacob and his family were on their trip, they were leaving, they were on their way to Bethel, it says that, you remember this phrase? The terror of God fell on all the people around them. And they stepped back and they gave Jacob and his family free passage. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to confess something to you that in this series I've done, I don't usually, in fact, I can't think of another time I've done this. We've skipped a passage, just skipped it. It was the previous chapter, Genesis 34, and I skipped it intentionally because as I read through it and pictured a worshiping congregation that is multi-generational, just said that passage is rated R. It's the rape of Dinah. And it's the response of Simeon and Levi in slaughtering all the men of Shechem, taking all their wealth and their women and their children. It's a horrible story. Jacob is almost not involved in it until the very end. And at the very end, as he realizes what his sons have done, he says to them, do you realize you have made me a stench? In the nostrils of the people of this entire area, you have made me obnoxious to them. And then he says, they far outnumber us. They can kill us off. Again, a situation tailor-made for the old Jacob to jump into the mode of maneuvering and scheming and working things out. How am I going to make this come out right? What do we have? Silence. Apparently trusting God so that when he leaves, what does the passage say? The terror of God fell on them. And they stepped back and didn't lay a finger on them. Something has happened to Jacob. He will remember this as well on his deathbed. Make no mistake, it bothered him there. But Jacob has changed. He's a different man. Can you go home again? Well, maybe if the reason that sent you running out the door as a fugitive has been transformed, 
Maybe there's a possibility. That's the first element of the passage we have to notice in answering the question. But there's a second element in this passage. And that is this. God defines home. God defines home. Not only has Jacob changed, but God defines home. After all, where is home for a desert nomad? Moving all over the land, all over the desert, where the nearest water, where the nearest food or grain or grass for the flocks are available. Where is home for a person like that? And yet God comes to Jacob and he says, Jacob, I want you to go back to that place where out of all the vast desert that you could have chosen, you chose to camp there only to discover that that was the gateway of heaven. That's where we met, Jacob. I want you to go back there because we're going to talk. So Jacob goes back to Bethel. And again, God meets with him. And when God meets with him, he says two things to Jacob. He says, Jacob, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. That's already been done. Why repeat it again? And then he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. That's already been done. Why repeat it again? Well, because they're on home territory. It's like the general leading his troops into battle who meets them before the battle when the emotions are high, the fear has skyrocketed, there's uncertainty, and the general stands up and says, I'll lead you into this, and I will lead you through this, and I'll lead you home. And then one day when the war is over, that troop meets together, and the general stands up and says, Welcome home. Welcome home. God has promised that he would bring Jacob back home again. Do you remember that? When he was at Bethel, he gave him a threefold promise. Jacob, I will go with you. Jacob, I will care for you. Jacob, I will bring you home again. So God says, meet me at Bethel. And there at Bethel... God says to Jacob, okay, I'm going to change your name. No longer is your name going to be cheat, Jacob. Now it's going to be God wrestler, Israel. The one who's wrestled with God and has been victorious. That's what your name's going to be. And furthermore, that name, Israel, is going to be the name of the people and the land that will come from you. That's the second part of the covenant. So everything you see here, Jacob, this will be yours and your descendants after you, and they will be called by your name. And Jacob and God are drawn into deep conversation. I wonder if Jacob is discovering that when you're a nomad, when you move around, when you might not stand for any specific flag, I wonder if he's found that home is where God is, wherever God is. The words are the words of a, a grandma 
a grandmother by the name of Pat Bailey. Pat Bailey from Batavia, Illinois, wrote this. At last, the big day had come. My son Brian and his wife Becky were heading south to the Florida Keys for their 15th wedding anniversary. I'd volunteered to house sit and watch over my grandsons, Nathan 7 and Joshua 5. The three of us were looking forward to our vacation too. Pool splashing, happy meals, park Olympics, and snuggle time. Brian and Becky slipped into the boys' room about 5 a.m. to give last-minute hugs and kisses and to capture goodbye waves from the front window. When I woke up an hour or so later, I could hear the telltale sounds of youthfulness echoing from the living room. Up and at it, those sounds reported, your starting bell has already rung. Sure enough, I found Nate and Josh wrapped in blankets and staring at a cartoon on TV. But it was a rainy day, and it seemed to go on forever. The three of us played games, watched videos, drew pictures. I got out my famous granny bag, filled it with surprises, and produced a puppy and mouse marionette that delighted both boys. After that, we all stood at the window looking wistfully at the swimming pool as it filled more with more rainwater. It was a long day. At last, it was time for bed. Bath time was over, and the three of us were ready to sleep. And then the phone rang. It was Brian and Becky, and the boys jumped up to chat. As each one took a turn talking with their mom and dad, the tears began to flow. Soon they were both inconsolable. The whole situation had become too much. The boys were tired. Their mom and dad were so far away. And as much as they loved me, they wanted them. When we finally got back to the bedroom, I tried to quiet them as best as I could. Josh eventually fell asleep with his mouth wide open, still crying. Nate, being older, couldn't stop thinking about his parents. He was like a record stuck in one spot, and he was wearing a groove so deep I had no idea how to help him. Through the wailing, his shaking arms reached out to me, and his little voice spoke some very profound words. Grandma, I'm homesick, and I am home. How can that be? In the end, I took him into my room and let him cuddle up to me. I rubbed his back and spoke soft words until finally he fell asleep, and so did I. We had only one night of tears. It was Nathan's idea that his mom and dad should call during the day when he wasn't tired and it wasn't bedtime. Thankfully, it worked. Still, when Brian and Becky returned five days later, the boys were ecstatic. Their faces were filled with smiles, and they couldn't get close enough to each parent. At last, home was home. I'm homesick. How can that be? I am home. That could be the cry of your heart or your soul today. Something deep within you yearns for home. Not an address, but an experience, a relationship. An experience in a relationship that in its most profound expressions cannot be satisfied by any human person or any human place. Because as Jacob finds out at Bethel, God is home. Whenever we're with God, whenever God is with us, we are home. That's why I'm so struck 
So struck by the words of John the Revelator, in that next to last chapter of Scripture, as he speaks to every single homesick soul that has ever lived and of the possibilities to come and of understanding what Jacob experienced at Bethel, John pins these words. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's what? Home is now among his people. We're not going to be with God. God's coming to be with us. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear of homesickness from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Because God is our home. They say you can't go home again. Is that true? Well, I suppose that depends where home is. Jacob has gone home because he's been transformed by God. He no longer has to flee for the reasons he left in the first place. He's been changed. And Jacob is home because God has never left him. And now he is with God again. I like to picture in my mind's eye a day when God is among us and when God looks at Jacob and looks at you and looks at me and with a smile playing around the corners of his mouth says, I don't care what they say. You can go home again.